Hey, it's such a joy to be with you today on this Mother's Day. If you're a mom, a spiritual mom, or a woman who builds up and encourages others, a special shout out to you. Happy Mother's Day. We hope you're feeling extra celebrated and loved today. If we haven't met, my name is Jacinta and I'm originally from Sarawak. And on days like today, I think of my late grandmother who used to live in a remote village called Bakalalan in the highlands of Sarawak. And at nine months in her first pregnancy with my father in her womb, my grandma was traveling by foot to teach and to share the good news of Jesus in some of the surrounding villages. When it became time to deliver my dad, she ended up going into labor in a village miles away from her own. And that's how my dad got his name Sakai, which means guest. The villagers had given it to him as their guest of honor. So on days like today, I think back to that story with awe and wonder because at nine months pregnant, my grandmother was walking for miles to share the gospel. I, on the other hand, when I was pregnant, could barely walk from Lot 10 car park to the entrance of our main hall. On days like today, I think also of my own mum who single-handedly raised five children after my dad passed away when I was in my teens. On days like today, I think of women in scripture, women like Jesus' mother, Mary, Ruth, Naomi, Esther, the prophet and judge Deborah, and the Proverbs 31 woman, women who modeled strength in the face of adversity, and yet a softness to the work of the Spirit in their lives, a strength of character, and yet a tenderness in their posture towards God and the people around them. Strength and softness, both of which are rooted in the heart. And so I've titled this talk, How God Forms Us. And today I want to speak about our heart and how God wants to form us in softness and strength. But the kind of strength I want to talk about today is the one that serves others from a place of courage, not one that puffs up from a place of fear. I read that Muhammad Ali, the world-famous Olympic boxing champion, was on a flight. And just before takeoff, the stewardess reminded Ali to fasten his seatbelt. Superman don't need no seatbelt, Ali replied. To which the stewardess responded, Well then, Superman don't need no plane either. He promptly fastened his seatbelt. This is not the kind of strength I want to talk about, but instead the kind of strength rooted in a kind, generous and tender heart. And when I think of the heart, I think of the organ in our body that pumps 7,500 liters of blood and that beats 100,000 times a day and that is most prone to attacks on Monday mornings. I also think about how studies show that laughing is good for the heart. I think about Valentine's Day and heart-shaped chocolates and the thousands of songs that have the word heart in them. And I love what this four-year-old said. I better go to bed now. I have a dream locked up in my heart that I need to let out. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think about the heart. In our passage today, we read about God's promise to the Israelites to give them a new heart. And you may have come across this passage before. It's found in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel. Now, the context of this book is that the Babylonian Empire had attacked Jerusalem and they'd taken the first wave of Israelite prisoners captive and Ezekiel was one of them. And then God gives Ezekiel a vision and a message for the Israelites about their hard hearts. And this book captures God's sadness and anger at how the Israelites had turned away from God. And yet God's promise was that He hadn't abandoned them, but rather He went into exile with them. And because they couldn't follow God on their own, He would transform them and He would help them to follow Him. So let's read together now from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 27, verse 26. 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I wonder if you've ever felt annoyed at yourself because your outward behavior didn't line up with your inward thoughts and desires. A couple of weeks ago, Abel and I were preparing to head to a worship gathering. If you've met my husband Abel, you'll know he's very lovely, but he's also a bit uncle. And Abel's a good man. He also wants the best for me. And this means he'll be sure to tell me if he thinks my choice of clothing could be a little more appropriate. So on this morning, as we were preparing to head out, I put on a shirt that I thought made me look great. It was made of a kind of lace cotton, which meant that it had tiny holes in them and uh, you could see through the holes a little bit. Now, just to clarify, I had worn something on the inside and I quite liked how I looked. But as Abel looked at what I was wearing, his uncle radar went off and he said to me, are you sure that's what you're going to wear? Now, some of you watching, you're a bit like me. You think deeply and you plan deliberately on what to wear and how to make sure you look good. And so in that moment, though I felt I looked good on the outside, inside, I was starting to get annoyed. I reacted and I snapped back at poor Abel, but I eventually changed what I was wearing because he was right. And the relationship was more important than a silly disagreement. And we eventually made our way to the gathering and began to worship. And just in that moment, as I raised my hands in worship and I bowed my head in prayer, I felt the Lord whispered to me, what do you gain if you only look good on the outside, but your heart is easily offended on the inside? And I had to say sorry to the Lord and to my husband because I had prioritized my outward appearance over the inner work that God needed to form in my heart. Now, although I've titled this sermon, How God Forms Us, I do want to say that He forms us in many different ways, too many to fit into a 20-minute sermon. He forms us through worship, prayer, scripture, spiritual disciplines, experiences, our relationships, and the help of a community that not only cares for us, but also cares enough to lovingly invite us to daily walk this narrow path of faithfulness to Jesus. This is how God forms us. Formation into Christ-likeness involves sanctification, which is really just one of those big theological words, and it describes the process by which we are formed to be more like Christ in our attitudes and actions with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's a process of becoming more spiritually mature, and it starts with justification when we come to faith and are declared righteous because of Christ's finished work on the cross. It continues through sanctification and one day we'll receive glorification when we pass from this life into the next and are resurrected into eternal life. Through Jesus' finished work on the cross and the Holy Spirit's work in you, you are forever justified. You are being sanctified and you will one day be glorified. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Now, God wants to form us into His likeness through the slow process of sanctification. But if we're honest, we often want virtue to grow overnight, don't we? We want wrong thinking gone, addictions gone, bad habits gone. And we want patience now, love for our tricky colleagues now, discipline now. It's like we want God to microwave us. But really, He wants to put us through the slow cooker of sanctification. 
It's the same intentionality with which a potter takes to mold a piece of clay, that an artist takes to create art on canvas, that a farmer takes to work a piece of land. And it's been said that the average person walks at the speed of three miles per hour. And if that's true, then Jesus, while he was on earth, he walked at three miles per hour. He works in us at the pace that is meant for us. So why do we feel we need to run ahead of him? How do we allow God to form us? Based on Ezekiel 36, I want to suggest that God forms us by firstly, giving us the, de the desire to follow Him, and secondly, giving us the power to keep His laws. Firstly, the desire to follow Him. In verse 26, God says to the Israelites through the prophet Ezekiel that He'll give them a new heart and put a new spirit in them. Now, when you think about the heart, I wonder what immediately comes to mind. Maybe you think of heartaches or heartthrobs or what makes your heart full. But to the audience that Ezekiel was speaking to, the heart was understood as the seat of all our desire. To Ezekiel's listeners, the heart was the totality of the inner person, the control tower, the cockpit, the seat of one's character, thoughts, reasoning, imagination, conscience, will, and faith. It's where our emotions come from. And so it's not surprising that Scripture mentions the heart over 800 times. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Jesus said in Matthew 12, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in the Psalms, David prayed in Psalm 19, May the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And then he prays in Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God. And it's true, isn't it, that the meditations of your heart become the motivation for your actions. I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, So a thought reap an action. So an action reap a habit. So a habit reap a character. So, so a character reap a destiny. And so if the meditation of my heart is filled with anger, frustration, and thoughts about my insecurities, I'm more likely to be irritable, snappy, and maybe overreact to the closest people around me. But if the meditation of my heart is filled with gratitude, humility, and joy, I'm more likely to be patient, loving, and kind. But how do we do this? Do we simply will ourselves into being more loving or kind? Do we just need to try harder? I'm reminded of a story that Jesus told His disciples in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. It says in verse 9, He was talking to people who were confident in their own righteousness, and they looked down on everyone else. And so He says, and let me read it for us in verse 10, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, the Pharisees were known for how pristinely they kept the law. And while the law was meant for our good, if we are blindly following the law without allowing our hearts to be changed on the inside, it will only lead to legalism and pride. 
Jesus warned against this kind of behavior. I think this quote by A.W. Tozer seems to sum up this story really well. We please God most, not by frantically trying to make ourselves good, but by throwing ourselves into His arms. The Pharisee was trying to make himself good, but the tax collector threw himself into the arms of God. And that is what pleased God. Now, just to be clear, being on our best behavior is a good thing. It's why we teach our kids to say please and thank you. It's why we are polite. It's why the first thing we say as Malaysians to the people we meet is, have you eaten? Just to show we care about their well-being. Being on our best behavior is a way to serve the people around us, to help them feel welcome around us. And the Israelites knew this well. They had 613 rules derived from the Ten Commandments that were inscribed on stone tablets signifying the legal covenant that God had made with them. But the more they tried to be pure, the more they realized how powerless they were in keeping all those rules. And so God's promise to remove their heart of stone and instead to give them a heart of flesh, He was saying, I will breathe a new, new life to keep those rules written on stone. He was saying, from now on, you'll be motivated not by law, but by love, not by rules, but by a new desire, not by don'ts and do's, but by a new power that I will now give to you. And this, because of the promise of new life, through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, which we are born into when we receive Him into our lives. It's through His death we receive new life. But it's also through the promise of a new spirit. In verse 27, God says, And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, the Hebrew word here for spirit is ruach, and this basically translates to breath, but it also means a new desire and courage, breathed on us through God's Holy Spirit. So that just as when God gave human beings physical life, He breathed on them His ruach. And when He gives them spiritual life, He breathes on them the Spirit of God. In the New Testament, Jesus breathed on the disciples and He said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So I think to receive a new heart and a new spirit meant that instead of the law working from the outside in, instead of purification rites and sacrifices being burnt, God had promised a new heart to work from the inside out. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Don't you know that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? Instead, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. How do we receive this new heart? Well, we simply ask for it, and God prom promises to give it to you. You can pray verse 26 in your heart right now. God, I give you my heart. Would you take this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh? Would you transform me from external behavior to internal transformation, from I have to to I want to, from I've got to to I get to, from a heart of stone to a heart that is soft, to the Spirit working in me. And if you pray that prayer, I want to encourage you. God looks at your heart. He loves to respond to prayers like that, just as how He blessed King Josiah, as it says in Scripture, because King Josiah's heart was soft, and he humbled himself before God in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 27. So you can receive a soft and surrendered heart, and a new desire to follow God today. But secondly, He gives you power to keep His laws. 
In verse 27, right after it says that God will give you a heart of flesh, it then says, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So first he gives you a new desire to follow his laws and then he gives you the power to keep them. But how does God move us to follow His decrees and to keep His laws? Are we simply puppets involuntarily acting out God's will and desires here on earth? Well, I think it's the opposite. And it's that God gives us the dignity of choice to decide to be obedient to Him. That obedience to God is no longer a way to earn God's favour and love, but rather obedience means living from a place of being loved being what God had already made us to be, designed in the image of God. It's a matter of outworking what the Spirit has already worked in us. I'm reminded of what St. Paul said to the Philippian church in chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. And the first time I read it, I was confused. I wondered, what, what does it mean to work out our salvation? Not only that, but with fear and trembling as well. Aren't we saved completely by our faith? Does this need, mean we need to earn our salvation? But as I read it a little more closely, I began to understand that it's not that we work to earn our salvation, but any outworking of God's salvation work in us is because God has already been at work in us. We don't work for our salvation. We work out our salvation. There's a big difference. In other words, we can work out because God is at work in us. God's work of justification on the cross enab enables His sanctification in us. The order is important. It is not self-effort, but spirit-enabled effort. In the Bible in one year, Nikki Gumbel shares this example of 19th century English scholar Bishop Westcott. On one occasion, he was asked by a zealous university student, Are you saved? Ah, said the bishop. A very good question. And then he proceeded to explain the three tenses of the Greek verb to save. He said, I know I have been saved. I believe I am being saved. And I hope by the grace of God, I shall be saved. Salvation is a huge word. It's rich with meaning, and the promise for you and what salvation means in your life is that you have been set free from the penalty of sin. You are being set free from the power of sin, and you will be set free from the presence of sin. Through the finished work of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, and by the power of the Holy Spirit living and working in you. But you may be thinking, as much as this is a lovely thought, this doesn't quite describe your day-to-day -day lived experiences. Maybe you feel powerless to cause change in your family or workplace or even in the deepest parts of your inner life. And if you're honest, something in you feels a little stuck. We feel like what Jesus said as He warned His disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How do we access, as God says, the spirit of God to move us to follow His decrees? Well, I think it's recognizing God's power already at work in us. It's partnering with the Spirit and walking in step with Him. It is receiving a new desire to follow Him and a new power to walk in His ways. It is recognizing it's 100% our responsibility, but equally 100% God's enabling ability. 
St. Augustine put it this way, Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. While Jesus' work on the cross is once and for all and sufficient for all eternity, following Him requires desire, discipline, and a daily decision to deny ourselves and to follow Him. Jesus said to His disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The process of sanctification is a daily decision. I read recently that the Latin word for decide is desideria, which is a combination of two words, de, off, and sedere, cut. So basically, to make a decision means to cut off everything else except the things that matter most. It means putting to death the things that matter less so that there's life where it matters most. For some in the global church, the decision to follow Jesus requires them to literally lay down their lives. We heard the inspiring story of Hewu recently. Hewu, which is not her real name, is a Christian who was imprisoned in a North Korean concentration camp. She entered in her 60s, and when she, she was asked what it was like, she said, We were surrounded by death and darkness every day, and yet God was at work and alive. Hewu said that God gave her a desire to evangelize among the other prisoners, and He showed her who she should approach. And when he asked her to gather with the other Christian prisoners, she asked God, God, how, how should I do this? If we were found out, it would be an immediate death penalty. And so God said to her, there is a very safe place, the smelliest place, but also the safest. It's the women's toilet. So for months, they would line up in the toilet. Each time someone came behind them, they would let them go first. And then only when it was clear, they would spend a few minutes reading scripture and praying together in the women's toilet in a concentration camp. When I heard this story, I was wrecked. And if you're watching this right now and your life is in physical danger because of your faith, please do reach out. Someone from our team would be glad to connect in and pray with you and do what we can to support you. But I think for so many others of us, it's easy to say, Lord, if I am one day forced to deny my faith, I promise I will stay strong for you. God, if one day the authorities imprison me for my faith, I will still choose to follow you. And as much as we are ready to lay down our lives for the big things in our lives, God in His kindness calls us to little daily deaths. And I wonder if this is what it means to be a disciple, to follow Jesus daily, a surrendering of our rights each day. When a family member upsets you and you surrender your right to react with, unki and un with unkindness, when a colleague attacks you and you surrender your right to anger. When a driver on the road overtakes you and you surrender your right to overtake them back. For some of us, it means to surrender our right to be seen, to receive a new desire for obscurity, to surrender our right to keep score and to begin giving sacrificially, to surrender our right to be right and to receive a new desire for humility, to surrender our right to our way and to submit to God's ways and His time. It means turning your frustrations into fuel, your irritations to intercession, and your worries into worship. It means saying, Jesus, I give up my life because it's in losing my life for your sake that I find new life. We have the power to die to ourselves daily because we worship a God who died and was raised to new life in power. 
And so on this Mother's Day, maybe you're feeling a deep sense of joy, or maybe you have a deep sorrow. For the child you never got to have, or the parent you've said goodbye to, or maybe you're somewhere in between. Would you give your heart to God today to work in you a softness to the work of the Spirit and to give you strength to walk steadfastly with Him always? And would we be a people that God is forming into His likeness to work out in the world what the Spirit is at work in us to bring life wherever we go? In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I'm just going to pray for us. So um, you might just want to be in a posture to receive the Spirit of God. I'm just going to pray, come Holy Spirit. And I believe God wants to meet with you wherever you're watching from. So come Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts that we would receive a word from you today. I think God just really wants to give a special blessing to all mothers, to all women watching right now. So if you're watching with a woman or with your mom, with your daughter, with a sister or auntie or, or friend, would you just put your arm around them and, and just maybe pray a short prayer of blessing for them? I think there might be also people here watching and you feel um, a really deep sense of sorrow because it's Mother's Day today. And I think God wants to meet with you in that sorrow. If there's anything else you'd like prayer for, we would love to be able to pray with you. Just, uh, just get in touch with someone from the team and we would love to be able to pray with you. But let's finish now with this one final song of worship. 